Hello everyone, welcome back to the Scouting Guide Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to try to read all the merit badge books that scouting has to offer and talk about all things scouting. In this episode, we're going to be continuing going over the first classroom requirements. Now, let's begin. The first requirement is requirement 5B. Identify two ways to obtain a weather forecast on an upcoming activity. Explain why weather forecasts are important when planning for an event. Weather. Checking weather reports is part of planning a scout outing. When you know what the weather will be like, you will have a better idea of what clothing to carry with you and what to expect when you reach the trail. Setting weather can also be a terrific way to understand the bigger picture of nature. Weather reports on television, websites, and mobile devices often include maps showing the movement of areas of low pressure and high pressure in the atmosphere. Regions experiencing high atmospheric pressure usually have stable weather. Where the pressure is low, though the winds will be pushed in. If those winds are carrying moisture, storms can occur. Reading a weather map. The lines on weather maps, called ibisaurs, show the movement of weather systems by tracking this movement. Meteorologists, science who study the atmosphere and weather, can predict how the weather will change in the hours and days to come. Each ibisaur indicates a front, the boundary between the air masses that have different biometric pressures, or atmospheric densities. The biometric pressure ahead of a front is higher or lower than the pressure behind it, and as front moves through the area, the weather begins to change. If you carefully look at an ibisaur, you can learn a lot about the front it represents. 1. Blue indicates a cold front, with the cool or cold air moving in the directions of the triangles. Red shows a warm front, where hot or warm air moving in the direction of the half circles. If a cold front or a warm front stops moving, it becomes a stationary front. A weather map shows a stationary front with half circles on one side of an ibisaur and triangles on the other. On a weather map, you may also see pressure readings expressed in millibars and letter H for high pressure and L for low pressure. Clouds. Moisture rising into the air can form droplets and ice crystals that build into clouds. Clouds can take three basic shapes. Meteorologists give each shape a Latin name. Street clouds, Sirius. Leocards, Staterus. Heap clouds, Columbius. Nimbus describes any clouds from which participation might fall. A nimber stratus cloud, for example, is a layered cloud that could produce rain. Using cloud fronts to predict weather. The first sign of an approaching storm might be the appearance in a clear sky of high feathery cirrus clouds over several days or hours. They will thicken and lower until the sun is hidden by a thin, circularless veil. A gray curtain of atrolous clouds comes next, followed by a moist blanket of dark stratus clouds rolling into the earth. Finally, nimber stratus clouds, black and threatening big rain. Not all clouds signal bad weather. Sergius clouds not attached to one another is a sign that weather will stay fair for a while. A merciful sky formed by circumolus clouds that look like fish scales usually promise fair weather but might also bring unscheduled conditions with brief showers. Scout Patrol eager to hike at day trails welcome the sight of white fluffy cumulus clouds on hot days, though, backcountry travelers should keep an eye on Columbus clouds that are swelling. Take cover if those clouds become into dark, cumulus thunderheads, a source of violent storms. The next requirement is requirement 5C. Describe at least three natural indicators of impeding hazardous weather, the potential dangerous events that might result from each weather condition, and the appropriate actions to be taken. 
This rank is similar to requirement 5b, so re-listen to that section to know how to do this section. The next requirement is requirement 5b. Describe extreme weather conditions you might encounter in the outdoors in your local geographic area. Discuss how you would determine ahead of time with the potential risk of these types of weather dangers, alternative planning considerations to avoid such risks, and how would you prepare for and respond to those weather conditions. Again, this is like requirement 5b, so re-listen to that section. The next section is aquatics. Requirement 6a says, successfully complete a BSA swimmer test. The BSA Beginner and Swimmer Tests Passing the BSA Swimmer Test is a good way to know that you are prepared to take part in most scouting aquatic activities. Here's what it requires. Jump feet first into water over the head in depth. Level off and swim 75 yards in a strong manner using one or more of the following strokes. Side stroke, breast stroke, turgeon, or crawl. Then swim 25 yards using an easy resting backstroke. The 100 yards must be completed in one swim without stops, and must include at least one sharp turn after completing the swim, rest by floating. If you aren't quite ready for the swimmer test, you might be able to pass the beginner's test. Jump feet first into water over the head in depth, level off and swim 25 feet in the surface. Stop, turn sharply, resume swimming, and return to the starting place. Here are the parts of the BSA swimmer and beginner tests. Entering deep water. Jumping into deep water is part of the BSA swimmer and beginner tests. Jump feet first into deep water only when you have determined the bottom is free of obstacles. Whenever you don't know the depth of the water or conditions of the bottom, wade into the water to ease in, feet first, from seated position. Never dive head first into water unless it is 7 to 12 feet deep and you can see the bottom. After you have made certain that the bottom is obstacle free, stand at the edge of the pool or dock. Bend slightly at the knees and hop forward into the water. Once you get comfortable with that method of entry, try stepping out further from the dock or poolside with your legs spread apart. Snap your legs together when you hit the water and push downward with your arms to keep your head above its surface. Stopping, turning, and resuming swimming. To come to a halt when swimming, stop kicking and raise your head to push down with your arms. You will find yourself upright in the water and be able to look around. By sweeping your arms back and forth under the water and making an occasional scissor kick with your legs, you can tread water and keep your head above the surface. To turn, rotate your face and shoulders into the direction that you want to go. Then, sweep your arms sideways to turn your body. Then, lean forward and kick your legs to level off the surface of the water. Then, begin a swimming stroke to take where you want to go. The next requirement is requirement 6b. Tell what precautions must be taken for a safe trip afloat. Safe trips afloat. Lots of traffic scout adventures happen on the water. The BSA Safety Afloat Guidelines help make sure that you and others stay safe during activities afloat. BSA Safety Afloat Qualified Supervision An adult leader, age 21 or older, who is trained in safely afloat and committed to comply with its nine points, must supervise all activities afloat. With his or her commitments to safety afloat, that adult leader accepts responsibility for the well-being and safety of those in his or her care. The supervisor must be skilled in the safe operations of the craft for the specific activity, knowledgeable in the ancient preventions, and prepare for emergency situations. 2. Personal health and safety. Each scout afloat must provide a current and complete health history, which helps the adult leaders be aware of the recent illnesses or injuries so that aquatic supervision and protection can be provided for any level of health conditions. In some cases, an examination by a physician might be required. 
Three, sim- swimming uh, eligibility. Scouts and adults operating a boat during activities afloat must have passed the BSA swimmer test. Those who have not passed the test may ride as passengers in limited situations in a boat operated by an appropriate personnel. Four, life jackets. Properly fitted life jackets approved by the USA Coast Guard must be worn at all times by participating in boat activities. Type 3 life jackets are recommended for general recreational use. 5. Buddy System Scouts never go on the water alone. Every person has a buddy, and every craft on the water has a buddy boat. As with swimming buddies, buddy boats have a checked at regular intervals. Scale Proficiency All persons participating in activities afloat, including those who will be passengers only, must be trained in practicing craft handling skills, safety, and emergency procedures. 7. Planning Before scouts go afloat, they develop a float plan detailing their route, time schedule, and backup plans. The plan is shared with parents, scout leaders, and others who have an interest. Creating a float plan A successful boat plan covers preparation, itinerary, notification, weather, and a congeniuses. Preparation. Make sure you have access to all the gear you will need and that you know and understand any state and local regulations. Check water levels and select a route, including alternative locations to pull in and pull out. The float plan is a detailed list of where you will be at any time, noticing put in and pull out locations and waypoints. Estimate travel time generously. File the float plan with parents, the local council office, if traveling on running water, and local authorities if appropriate. Assign someone who is staying behind to alert the authorities if your prearranged check-ins are overdue, and make sure everyone is promptly notified when you return from the trip. Weather. Checking the forecast just before settling out and keep an alert eye on the weather, anticipate changes, and bring all craft ashore when rough weather threatens. Wait at least 30 minutes before resuming activities after the last incident of thunder or lightning. Identify anything that might force a change of plans and develop alternative plans for each situation. Know how to contact all emergency resources such as an EMS systems, sheriff departments, and ranger stations, and the nearest emergency communication location. 8. Proper Equipment All equipment must be in good repair and suited to the craft to the water conditions, and to the individual using it. Appropriate rescue equipment must be available, and it never hurts to have spare equipment, repair materials, extra food and water, and dry clothes available, just in case. Discipline. Scouts know and respect the rules and always follow instructions from the adult supervising the activity afloat. When the rules are applied consistently and impartially to all participants, everyone can have a safe and enjoyable outing. For the complete BSA Safety Afloat Guidelines, see Aquatic Supervision or the Guide to Safe Scouting. The next requirement is Requirement 6C. Identify the basic parts of a canoe, kayak, or other boat. Identify the parts of a paddle or an oar. Understanding Watercraft Boating introduces you to a world you can't explore by foot. It also introduces you to a whole new vocabulary. Before you can master boating techniques, you will need to understand some important terms. Parts of a Boat On any boat or ship, the front is called a bow and the back part is called the stern. When you are looking forward as an opposite to aft, the port side on your left and the starboard side on your right. Admin ships, the section in the middle seats, are named for their location, bow, stern, or midship. The top edges of canoes and robots are called the gunwales, pronounced in gunnels. They help stiffen the boats, as do the thwarts, pronounced thwarts, on canoes. 
Other structural elements include deck plates on canoes and breastplates, transnorms, and transform knees on rowboats. Most boats include at least one painter, a rope you can use to square the boat on a dock or other fixed object. Some boats have a kneel, a raised rib on the bottom that helps the boat stand course. Parts of a paddle and oar. The most important part of a paddle or oar is a blade, which pulls the watercraft through the water. When you are canoeing, the blade of the paddle should be barely submerged. When you are rowing, the blade of the oar will go much deeper. Rowing requirements, two oars, and you will hold each by its handle. In canoeing, you will use a single paddle. Put one hand on top of the grip and the other around the shaft near the throat. The next requirement is requirement 6D. Describe proper body positioning in a watercraft, depending on the type and size of the vessel. Explain the importance of proper body position in the boat. Your position on a boat. While all boats can capsize, if you're not careful, some, like canoes, are less stable than others. To prevent your boat from tipping over, keep your center of gravity as low as possible, and don't lean too far port or starboard. When paddling a canoe, sit on one side seat facing forward or kneel just in front of it with your knees spread out. If you are paddling by yourself, you'll want to be in the back of the boat. When rowing a rowboat, sit on the middle ship seat facing aft. The coxswain should sit in the aft seat and to guide you. The next requirement is requirement 6E. With a helper and a practice victim, show a line rescue both as a tender and a rescuer. The practice victim should be approximately 30 feet from the in deep water. Line Tender Rescue The fourth point of safe swim defense requires that troop meeting swimming activities be protected by a resource team ready to respond during a drowning situation. With a bit of practice, two strong swimmers can safely use the line tender procedures for troop swim protection. Tie a bore line on the end of a rope to make a large loop. Then place the loop over the shoulders and under the opposite arm of the rescuer. If possible, the rescuer should take with him something that will float, such as a ring buoy, seat cushion, or other flotation devices. As the rescuer swims towards the victim, his body, the rope tender says ashore to feed the rope and prevent it from being tangled, and to closely watch the rescuer with the struggling swimmer. The rescuer presents the following floating device to the victim, and when the victim takes hold, signals for the rope tender to pull both of them to safety. If no floating device is available, the rescuer can swim past the victim, staying out of reach, then turn so the line is pulled with the victim's grasp. The rescuer then signals for the tender to pull both of them into shore. An unconscious person or someone who is injured might not be able to hold onto the rope. When that is the case, the rescuer can grab the victim and hold the person's face out of the water while the rope tender pulls the rescuer in and the victim. On a backpacking trip, you might be able to use an inflatable or foam sleeping pad as a flotation device. The next section is first aid and emergency preparedness. Requirement 7A says, demonstrate bandages for a sprained ankle and for injuries on the head, the upper arm, and the collarbone. Sprains and strains. A sprain occurs when an ankle, wrist, or other joint is twisted or bent far enough to overstretch the ligaments. The tough bands so that hold the joints together. A strain happens when muscles are stretched too far, causing tears in the muscle fibers. A sprained joint will be tender and painful when moved and might be swollen or discolored. Strained backs, arms, and legs will also be tender and can be hurt if motion continues. Treat sprains with strains with rice, Rest, ice, compression, and elevation. R equals rest. For immediate first aid, do not try to move or straighten the injured limb. Immobilize severe injuries and cover open wounds with a sterilite dressing. 
If the injury is not severe, minimize the motion and weight bearing of the injured joints or muscles to give them time to heal. Some motion is actually good for the healing process. I equals ice. Apply ice packs or cold compressors to the affected area. To protect bare skin, put a thin towel, t-shirt, or some other cloth around the ice pack and leave the ice in place for no more than 20 minutes at a time. If continued ice is needed, remove the pack for 20 minutes before reapplying. C equals compression. Wrap the injury with an elastic bandage. The bandage should be snug enough to provide support and help to squeeze the swelling, but not so tight that it cuts off circulation. You should be able to slip a couple of fingers under it. Continue to check the injury site as well as above and below the wrapped area, frequently for feeling, color, and warmth. Adjust the bandage of if it becomes too tight. E equals elevation. For sprains or strains to an arm or leg, keep the limb raised above the level of the heart to decrease swelling as long as there is no head or neck or spinal injuries. Head injuries. A head injury can be very serious and should be handled with extreme urgency and care. A cut to the head can cause severe bleeding. Call for help immediately for severe cuts. If the victim is bleeding but conscious, hold a clean cloth over the wound to apply pressure. Keep the victim as comfortable as possible and wait for help to arrive. If you suspect a neck or spinal injury, protect the spinal column by supporting the victim's head and neck in the position found. Use a triangular bandage when the entire scalp must be covered. Broken bones, fractures, a fall, a violent blow, a collision, all of these can cause a fracture. That is a broken bone. When a fracture has occurred, a bone or joint will often have an abnormal shape position. There also might be swelling or a blush color at the site of the injury. Always suspect and treat a fracture if there is a tenderness directly over the bone. Dots. Look for these signals for possible fractures. D equals deformity. O equals open wounds. T equals tenderness, and S equals swelling. Ask the victim the following questions to find out if he or she has a fracture. Did you hear or feel a bone snap? Do you feel increased pain when you press on the skin directly over the injured bone? Are you unable to make the injured limb? If the victim answers yes to any of these questions, he or she probably has a fracture. Even if the person can move the injured limb, there could still be a fracture. When you suspect a lower extremity fracture, do not move the person with suspected upper extremity fractures. Be careful when moving the person. First aid of fracture varies depending on whether an injury is a closed fracture or an open fracture. A closed fracture, also known as a simple fracture, is a broken bone that does not cut through the skin. An open fracture, also known as, as a compound fracture, occurs when a broken bone cuts through the skin and creates an open wound, or when an object goes in through the skin and breaks the bone. After calling 911 or your local emergency number for help, then treat hurry cases of stop breathing, stop heartbeat, and serious bleeding. You can begin to attend to the fracture. If you suspect a head, neck, or spinal injury, protect the sp spinal column by supporting the victim's head and neck in the position found. When you wait for emergency help to arrive, treat for shock, but don't raise the leg that might be broken. Apply a splint. In case of an open fracture, don't try to put the bone back under the skin, but don't worry if it goes back on its own. Control bleeding by placing sterilized gauze directly over the wound. Use direct pressure only when there are no other ways to stop serious bleeding.
If medical help will not arrive within an hour, carefully clean the wound with a stream of water squeezed from a water bottle or a sturdy plastic bag with a small hole punctured in the corner. In case of leg fractures, do not move the victim unless the place is not safe and there is danger to the victim or to the rescuers. Regularly check on his or her conditions and be ready to provide additional first aid treatment while waiting for medical professionals to arrive. The next requirement is requirement 7b. By yourself and with a partner, show how to transport a person from a smoke-filled room. Transport for at least 25 yards for a person with a sprained ankle. Moving an ill or injured person. The decision to move an accident victim should be made carefully. In many cases, emergency medical crews, fire department personnel, or other with special equipment and training will be able to transport an injured person. However, if someone is exposed to fire, smoke, or water, electrical hazards, poisonous gases, dangerous weather conditions, etc., the right decision could be to move the person to safety. You might also need to move the person in order to get proper first aid care. Move the victim only as far as necessary and do not put yourself in danger, except in critical situations. Do not attempt to move a person who is suffering from any of the following conditions. Shock, heart attack, frostbitten or burned feet, head, neck or back, or spinal injuries. Bone or joint injuries to the hips or legs. When an injured person must be moved, you may use one of several assistants to move the victim. Choose the assistant method you care you use carefully to avoid making the injuries worse and to prevent injury to yourself. Some or more rescuers practice the following assistance. That way you will know what to do during a real emergency. Walking assist. If the victim is conscious, has only minor injuries, and is able to move, you can safely help the person walk. Put one of the victim's arm over your neck. Place the other arm around the person's waist. When there are two of you to provide assistance, put one of the victim's arms around each rescuer's neck. Then place your free arms around the victim's waist. Blanket drag assist. To move a p- person to safety, roll him or her into a blanket, coat, dining fly, or tablecloth, and drag from behind the head. Clothing drag assist. For short distances and or to move a person who might have head, neck, or back injuries, Grab the clothing. Drag firmly. The sh- grab the person's clothing behind the shoulders and neck area, and pull head first from the shoulders while keeping the head and neck stable. Ankle drag assist. If a person must be moved out of a dangerous place, such as a smoky room, it is too large or too heavy to transport any other way. Drag him or her by both ankles. Pack strap carry. The pack strap carry is a way for single first aiders to carry someone no larger than himself. Use the carry for emergency moved or after determining that a victim can be carried without making his or her injuries worse. Squat down and pull the person onto your back with his or her arms around your neck. Hold the arms firmly and stand up. Two-handed carry. Use this method only if the victim is conscious and not seriously injured. With one or other rescuers, place your arms around each other's shoulders. Then, link your free arms by grasping each other's wrists. Ask the injured person to sit on your linked arms. With the person sitting on there comfortably, move your other arms down from each other's shoulders to support the victim's back. Four-handed seat. When no force rescue equipment is available, the four-handed seat is the easiest way to rescue or carry. It is safe only if the victim is conscious and can be held on and can be held on. Face your other's first aider and lock arms. Squat down. 
other victim sit on your hands and put his hands around your shoulders. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Scouting God Podcast. Next week, we'll be continuing going over the first class rank requirements.